Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. This morning we're talking about watching and serving. Watching and serving. A major motivation that Jesus used to inspire faithful service and holiness and conduct and character was the doctrine of his return. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24, we read these words. So you too must keep watch, for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Understand this. If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready all the time. Everybody say all the time. All the time. For the Son of Man will come when least expected. A faithful, sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. You also must be ready all the time. For the Son of Man will come when you're least expected. Did you get that? If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there's going to be a reward. Now, why is he teaching that way back when? When he knew there would still be many, many, many more years before he would be coming back again? He's using that to motivate them to be watchful and to serve him with their lives. And so it's something that they, he used, and then also the apostle used the same doctrine. For what reason? So that they would uh, be grounded in specific truths. For example, the doctrine of grace. Look in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us. Teaching us what? That denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Now notice this. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Notice the word looking. Watching and looking. That implies what? Activity. Action. Does it not? If I told you I left my phone here in the sanctuary somewhere, but I don't know where it's at. Let's look for it. Would you just be sitting there staring at me? What would you be doing? Looking for it. Action. You'd be doing something, praise God. True? Well, we're supposed to be looking for His coming every day. Living our lives as if He were coming today. And that's what He's trying to inspire within them. And then uh, something else. Now, just so that you know, we're not going to go through all these scriptures. They're there for you to look at. But just another uh, one here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, teaching them about death. And about bereavement. And about how not, how not to sorrow as though they have no hope. And regarding the question, friends, that has come up about what happens to those already dead and buried. We don't want you to uh, want you in the dark any longer. First off, you must not carry on over them like people who have nothing to look forward to. As if the grave were the last word. 
Since Jesus died and broke loose from the grave, God will most certainly bring back to life those who died in Jesus. And then this. We can tell you with complete confidence, we have the Master's word on it, that when the Master comes again to get us, those of us who are still alive will not get a jump on the dead and leave them behind. In fa actual fact, they'll be ahead of us. The Master himself will give the command, Archangel Thunder, God's trumpet blast, He'll come down from heaven and the dead in Christ will rise. They'll go first. The rest of us who are still alive at the time will be caught up with them into the clouds and meet the master. Oh, we'll be walking on air. And then there'll be one huge family reunion with the master. So reassure one another with these words. Man, that gets you to shout right there. Hallelujah. Amen. Something to look forward to, wouldn't you say? Praise God. So in other words, death does not have the final say. He's coming again, praise God. Death is not the end. But then, these other ones, I'm not going to get in all the verses. You can look them over for yourself. But in 1 Thessalonians 5, talks about he comes as a thief in the night. So you need to be watchful and you need to be sober and alert. It talks about repentance. In Acts chapter 3, he taught them to uh, repent. Faithfulness is also taught in Matthew 25. Shame. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me... Here on earth, then I'll be ashamed of you when I come in glory with my angels. We don't want that, do we? And then talks about worldliness. It says he's going to come in the glory uh, of the Father. And then when he comes, praise God, you know, worldliness, this worldliness. Think about this. He's talking about what does a man gain if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? What does he gain? What will you give in exchange for your soul, he said. When he comes, praise God, in all his glory. Don't you want to be ready to meet him? Don't you want to be alert? And that's why he says, be alert, be aware, be open to the fact that he can come any moment. Now, it goes on and we talk about moderation. Let your moderation be known among all men, for the day of the Lord is at hand. Why is Paul saying that way back then? The day of the Lord is at hand. So let your moderation be known to all men. And then also, when it comes to mortifying the flesh in Colossians chapter 3, when Christ appears, we're going to appear with Him in glory. So mortify the deeds of the flesh upon the earth. What motivation do I have to do so? He's coming again. I'm, I'm to be alert, sober, and aware of the fact that he can come at any moment, at any time. Sanctification, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, talks about the very God of peace. Sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be blameless until the coming of the Lord. So once again, the coming of the Lord is the emphasis here. He can come at any moment. He can come at any time. He can come. As a matter of fact, you know, this is the last day of Rosh Hashanah. You know that? 15th, 16th, 17th of September, which is the Feast of Trumpets. You realize he can come before we go to bed tonight? I'm not saying that he is, but I'm saying that he could. And I'm going to show you why as we finish this study. It also teaches us purity. In 1 John chapter 3, where John talks about the fact that if you have this hope in him, you purify yourself even as he is pure. Because when he comes, you want to see, be like, just like him. Now we're the sons of God, but it doesn't yet appear we shall be. But we, when he comes, we're going to see him. And if we have this hope, what do we do? We purify ourselves. Say with me, I purify myself. 
Think about that. I purify myself. He purifies himself even as he is pure. Wow. And then endurance. In 1 Peter chapter 1, he talked about at the appearing of our Lord. So when he comes, in other words, he says, your faith is going to be tried by fire would be found strong in the Lord at his appearing when he comes. Remember he said, when I come, will I find faith on the earth? Right. Our faith needs to be strong. But then look at this last one here. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, the Apostle Paul said it this way, I fought a good fight, I finished my course, I've kept the faith. Henceforth there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, and not just for me alone, but for all those that love His, what? Appearing. They love His appearing. So in other words, we're supposed to be living every single day with that thought in mind. He can come today. I'm to live my life in front of Him, knowing that He could come today. Now, I realize there are many that are out there who say, hey, well, I want to get married first. I want to have children first. I want to have grandchildren and all that before it comes. And that's wonderful. You should be living your life that way. But we should also remember the fact that he could come today. He's talking about living a life of holiness, godliness, righteousness, and truth because he can come at any moment. Now, to give us, a, 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 I think, just an aid to help us, I want to just share with you the last day's summary because this is what the last days is all about. And this is what this is all about as far as he can be coming at any moment. The next thing to take place on God's calendar of events is the rapture of the church. And it could happen at any moment, at any time. There's nothing else required that has to take place for the rapture of the church to take place. When the rapture of the church takes place, then we who are believers and are caught up, we're going to be with him for seven years in heaven. And seven years on earth will be tribulation like this world has never seen before. And let me throw something out to you. Do you know when Jesus was here and quoted uh, Isaiah in Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, preach deliverance to the captives, recovering to the sight of the blind, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, which is the year of Jubilee. He stopped right there. Did you know there was an and to that prophecy? And the day of the vengeance of our God. Did you notice he stopped there? Did he forget about that? No. He said, I didn't come to the world to condemn the world. I came that the world could have life. Right? He stopped because there was going to be a space between the year of Jubilee that we're living in right now and the day of the vengeance of our God. Do you know what the, year of the seven years of tribulation is? The day of the vengeance of our God. It's the tribulation period when the wrath of God is poured out upon the earth. A day that you don't want to be alive for. And if you don't want to be alive for that day, you want to be alive in heaven. You don't want to be alive on earth. Let's put it that way. Because it's the wrath of God being poured out. It's what's going to turn the eyes of the Israeli people unto the Lord. They're going to actually accept the blood of Jesus Christ at the end of that. Because at the end of that seven year period will be the battle of Armageddon. And that's when we come with our Lord, who's riding on a white horse, with a two-edged sword in his hand, etc., etc., and he comes to the earth to save Israel from a two-million army, man army, from destruction. At the end of that seven-year period, here he is, we're coming with him. Isn't that great to know? Yeah. We're coming with him. Hallelujah. Amen. And when we come down here, he's going to do something with the devil. He's going to do what? He's going to put him in the bottomless pit for how long? A thousand years, and on earth, Jesus will reign for a thousand years as the Prince of Peace. The government will be upon his shoulders. And this world that we live in, the government that we're living in, is going to be a wonderful government. 
He's going to show what peace is to be about. But at the end of the 1,000 year period, something's going to happen. The devil's going to be loose for a season. Now, how long is that season? We don't really know how long that season is going to be. We're not told how long the season is going to be. But it's going to be a season. Why? To tempt other people that were saved during the millennium. They're going to be tempted. You know, some will actually, after living under the government of Jesus for 1,000 years, will still be tempted and they'll still fall away and side with the devil. Can you imagine that? That's hard to imagine, isn't it? But they'll do it. So they're going to be tempted as well. And at the end of that period, that season, comes the battle of Gog and Magog. And that's when he's about to wrap all things up. There's going to be the great white throne judgment. Satan will be cast into the lake of fire. Hallelujah. Throughout eternity. Never to impose his will on anybody else ever again throughout eternity. Imagine that. For forever. Not just a thousand years, but forever. And then what happens? Thank God, new heaven and new earth. Thanks, Aaron. I almost forgot. I appreciate that. The new heaven and the new earth. Glory to God. This is the sequence of events that will take place. So when someone says to you, the world's coming to an end. No, it's not. There's a long time before we have a new heaven and a new earth. But what's important right now is the timing of the rapture. And just to share with you some last day signs to show you that we have more motivation to be ready now than any other time in human history. Do you know that? Look at Daniel chapter 12. These are some of the last day events that have occurred already. And then we can see what's happening right now so we can be sure that we are ready for his coming. But Daniel, keep this prophecy a secret. Seal it up so that it will not be understood until the end times. Notice this. When travel and education shall be vastly increased. In the end times... Notice what it says, travel and education shall be vastly increased, right? Okay, so let's talk about for a moment this explosion of knowledge that has taken place within the last couple hundred years. So let's start with travel. We started off walking, and then we found horses, and we rode horses. Then we got the horse and buggy, and that was convenient. And then we went to uh, chariots, from the chariots we went to boats, and from boats we went to uh, trains and from trains we went to cars and cars we went to planes and helicopters and, and then we entered into the space age and all that and so we got rocket ships and all that going on we've got even cars that now travel by themselves etc 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 right and Andrew is uh, he's actually working on flying cars but I, I don't know where he's going with that but he's trying to f discover how to build a flying car and so good luck with that but anyhow that's what he's trying to do <laughs> Yes. Anyhow, then what about communications? We went from talking to smoke signals, right? From smoke signals to uh, telegraph, telephone. Then we got radio, television, telewoman, smartphones, computers. <laughs> well, well, let's, that wasn't in my notes. <laughs> computers, you got... <laughs> You know, we got email, we got Twitter, we got Facebook, 
a messenger, what else? Am I leaving something else out? We've got forms of communications that this world never had. You know, you could pull out your, your smartphone and I can go and do all kinds of Bible studies that I want, pull up all kinds of information, right? Right at my fingertip. They say that you've got in your hand more uh, of a computer system that put the uh, man on the moon. You're carrying it in your hand. Can you imagine that? All this information that we have. But then you get down to it and you find out that in 1948, Israel became a nation. Shall a nation be birthed in one day? That was 1948. 1967, in a six-day war, they took over Jerusalem and became the capital once again of Israel. But remember, a six-day war that only God could help them win the victory in the battle. Okay, so now what about this? And then 2020, we came up with the temple in waiting. You go to the Temple Institute, and they've been really doing everything possibly can to get started on the rebuilding of the third temple, right? And look up the Temple Institute. You can look up some of this information. You can find it out for yourself. But now we have what is called the red heifer. You've heard me mention it, but let's look at it in the Bible, in Scripture. Look at the Numbers, chapter 19. This is from the NIV version, first 10 verses. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is a requirement. Notice it's a requirement of the law that the Lord has commanded. Tell the Israelites to bring you a red heifer without defect or blemish, and that has never been under a yoke. Give it to Eliezer the priest. It is to be taken outside the camp and slaughtered in his presence. Then Eliezer the priest is to take some of its blood and finger on his finger and sprinkle it seven times toward the front of the tent of meeting. While he watches the heifer, it is to be, is to be burned. Uh, the flesh, the blood, the intestines. The priest is to take some cedar wood, hyssop and scarlet wool and throw them onto the burning heifer. After that, the priest must wash his clothes and bathe himself with water. He may then come into the camp, but he will be ceremonially unclean till evening. The man who burns it must also wash his clothes and bathe with water, and he too will be unclean till evening. A man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and put them on in a ceremonial clean place outside the camp. They are to be kept by the Israelite community for use in the water of cleansing. It is for purification from sin. The man who gathers up the ashes of the heifer must also wash his clothes. And he too will be unclean till evening. And this will be a lasting ordinance, both for the Israelites and for the foreigners residing among them. Now, from the time of Moses to the destruction of the sec second temple, nine red heifers were used for purification. Nine. During that span of time. Of course, this purification was necessary and the red heifer was to be used. Now, the Temple Institute has been doing their best to try to find a red heifer that would be kosher or qualified to be used for the purification of the people. Once as I went on the uh, Temple Institute, I heard one of the uh, rabbis say that, you know, we have been unclean, or you could say in, in a state of defilement for all these years because we don't have a temple and we don't have any way of purification. So for almost 2,000 years, there hasn't been a red heifer that meets the qualifications since the temple was destroyed in A.D. 70. Hmm. Until now. Until now. Now there are five red heifers that are kosher. Three of them they were still looking closely at, but two of them are perfect. And all they need is one red heifer, and the one that is the oldest red heifer is the one they say actually could have been sacrificed 
this Feast of Trumpets. But they're waiting to make sure until Passover of 2024. Because once they sacrifice the red heifer for the purification, during that time, they can then start building the temple, the third temple. Now imagine that. For all these years, there hasn't been a qualified red heifer. Why? Because there wasn't a need for one. For all those years, there wasn't going to be one. There was no temple or anything of that nature. So they just didn't exist. But now we have five red heifers that are seemingly qualified. And as a result, we must think, could it possibly be that we are living in the time when the false Messiah would appear in order to do what? Officiate this sacrifice of this tenth red heifer. And what's important about the tenth red heifer? They believe that the tenth red heifer is going to be sacrificed by the Messiah. And we know that to be the false Messiah. So nine in the span of all these years have been found and used and they were kosher. Now we have at least one we know of already ready for sacrifice. And the tenth one being sacrificed by the false Messiah. There's also word in Israel that they're meeting with someone who they actually believe is their Messiah because of certain signs and wonders that he has performed before all the people. So during the span of time, there was no need for one. But now it seems as though there is a need for one. As far as the Jewish leaders say, they have the land, they have the blueprints, they have the gold, the silver, the copper uh, vessels that they need. They have the 95-pound menorah, gold menorah that came in at an expense of $2 million. They have the foundation stones. And they have certain undefiled priests right now that are prepared and ready to do the temple service and to offer up the sacrifices. Everything is in place right now for them to build the temple. I know there's all kind of talk about there about, you know, does this have to happen? Does that have to happen? Or whatever. Honestly, nothing has to happen for the rapture to take place. The rapture could take place at any moment because it would only take six months to nine months to build this temple. And when the church is out of here, that temple can, can be built. And then once the temple is built, they'll go back to offering animal sacrifices once again and performing the duties that they did before way back in the second temple. But it's going to be a little bit different this time. You see, notice that next section talking about the abomination of desolation. Look in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in a holy place, who readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child. And to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For then shall be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. So when this temple is built and the sacrifices begin at the beginning of the tribulation period. Oh, they're going to think everything is wonderful. Everything is great. But in the middle of the week, this false prophet's going to put up this image of the beast and want that beast to be worshipped as the living God. And this will be done right there at the altar, which is absolutely 
uh, disgusting to think of. It's the epitome of blasphemy when it comes to blaspheming the things of God. And so, once this takes place, and then all the vows are open, all the trumpets are sounded, and all the judgment is poured out upon the world, it's going to be the wrath of God that comes and manifests. It's the day of the vengeance of our Lord, or it is, it's, you could say it's the time of Jacob's trouble. All that's going to occur during that particular time. We are going to be in heaven. Now, some believers think they're going to be here for the first three and a half years. Have fun. Some believe you're going to be here throughout the whole time. Have fun. But as uh, Brother Al just shared with me this morning, anybody here, stand up if you beat your wife. Do you beat your wife? I don't see anybody standing. Are we the bride of Christ? Is he going to beat his wife? Are we the bride of Christ? He's not going to beat his wife. This is not, has nothing to do with Gentiles, has nothing to do with believers. We're removed, we're taken out of here for the whole seven-year period because that is the vengeance of God. It's the wrath of God that's going to take place during that seven-year period. While we're in heaven, we're going to get our rewards. We're going to have to face the judgments of the uh, Bema judgment seat of Christ. We're going to get our rewards, and we're going to have the marriage supper of the Lamb. I go to my Father's house to prepare a place for you. Do we understand that terminology? Said so that where I'm at, you could, there you could be also. Remember he said that in John 14, verse 1? Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions or dwelling places. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am ye may be also. And whether I go, you know, in the way you know. Thomas said to him, we know where you're going. How, how can we know the way? He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me, right? He's talking about a marriage ceremony. He's talking about the, a, a bridegroom and a bride. He's talking about when Jewish people got married, they were a spouse, and for one year, the, the fellow, the, the groom, would go and, and prepare a place in his father's house for them to reside and consummate the marriage. And so while she is a bride in waiting, she's a spouse, and she's in waiting, as the time goes on, she is with great anticipation looking for the day when he comes. If he could come at night, there's going to be the trumpet sound, the sound of the shofar. And when it blows, she knows it's time, the entourage comes and time to take her to Father's house. Now think about that part of it. If we're the bride of Christ, and we are a part of the bride of Christ, and he is at Father's house and preparing a place for us, just like it says here on earth. He's coming to get us with the trumpet sound, the sound of the shofar. The dead in Christ will rise because the graves will be open. They'll be changed in the twinkling of an eye, praise God. And we that are alive will be changed and caught up and meet them in the sky. And we're going to Father's house. We're not left here on this earth to suffer the wrath of God. He can't wait to take his bride to back home and be with him. We're going to have a marriage supper of the land. Spaghetti, meatballs, pizza, hot sauces. I mean, we're talking about a feast. Amen. You can have what you like. I've got my request already in. Praise God. It's going to be a wonderful time of celebration for seven years. We celebrate. They suffer. And why are they suffering? Because they turn their back on the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Why are they suffering the wrath of God? 
The Israelites are the ones that turned their back on their Messiah. There was no excuse for them not to know who he was. He said who he was. He told them who he was. He said, the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins because I am the Messiah. He said that to them. And they couldn't believe it. They wouldn't believe it. What is easier, he said, to say your sins? Well, they said this. Only God can forgive sins. He said, okay, then what's easier? To say your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk to the paralyzed man? So that you know the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Rise up and walk. And he did. What was he saying? I'm the Son of God. I'm the second person of deity. I'm the one who created the heavens and the earth and seen all that in him is. Right? That's what he was telling them. And yet they wouldn't believe it. They denied it. They wouldn't accept it. And as a result, of course, they're going to suffer the vengeance of God. The wrath of God. How sad is that? You know, we should be sounding the alarm. Oh, I'm telling you right now, sounding the alarm everywhere we possibly can. That trumpet's about to sound. I'm not predicting anything. I'm, I, don't, I, don't, I know better than that. I would never predict anything. But I tell you right now, that trumpet can sound at any moment at, at time. Right now. And here's the thing. When it does and you're left behind, some say, well, I've got time to get right with God. Do you really? Well, watch this video and tell me if you've got time to get right with God. Jesus Christ is coming back for his church. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 24, verse 42, Watch therefore, for you do not know the hour your Lord is coming. I want you to know, church, that Jesus Christ could come this month. Or he might come next week. Or he could even come... How much time did you have to get ready if you were sitting in a pew and you heard that message and those few that were left behind? You know what those few that are left behind have to go through? They're going to have to go through some tribulation that the world has never seen before. And it kind of makes you wonder why anybody would even want to wait and delay just for even a moment and not accept Christ even right now. Just, Lord, you know. Well, if Jesus and Paul and these others use this doctrine to inspire faithful service and also um, godly living way back then, how much more should we be emphasizing it today? People say, well, they're not preaching it out there. Well, there's something wrong with them. Because we've got a greater, we've got a more sure word of prophecy right here. It inspires godly living. It inspires watchfulness. It inspires people to look into their own hearts and evaluate their own lives and say, am I looking for his coming? Am I preparing for his coming? Am I living my life in such a way so as to hear those wonderful words, enter thou into the presence of your Lord, thou good and faithful servant, etc. This is what it's intended to do. This is the whole purpose of it. That was a quick just a synopsis of, of what's taking place. I have an in-depth study. You could get the tapes, uh, uh, the uh, podcasts and all that. You can listen to them. 
But we're talking about something that is so essential at this moment in time. Why? It's closer than it's ever been. With the, just the knowledge of the red heifers that are ready to be sacrificed. The, uh, the train that is there ready to take people from the airport in, in, in Israel to, to the Temple Mount. Uh, all that's going on right now. Some say, well, the Dome of the Rock's in the way. You think anything could, be in a, anything could be in the way of God? Did you hear the song we sang this morning? Do you really think that's impossible? To, re to move the Dome of the Rock? Or to do a, whatever it needs to be done, to be done? This would take a click of his fingers, a stomping of his foot. And that would be it. So the point I'm saying is this. There were no red heifers because there was no need for a red heifer for 2,000 years. If there's one now, hmm, could there be a need for it because the temple's going to start being built and the Antichrist is already on the earth and getting ready to do temple worship. They've got these priests already trained and all that. They have everything in place for it all. So it's closer than it's ever, ever been before. And we need to be ready. Now look at here in the challenge. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. There's a big difference between watching and waiting. God doesn't want us just waiting. He wants us watching, looking, being active. But of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For, your, you, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. You are the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us what? Watch and be sober. That means be alert and to be aware because he could come at any moment. There's a lot of distractions in the world today. There's a lot of things that are going on in the world today. And uh, once again, they could distract us and keep us in, so involved in what's going on that if we're not mindful of it, if we're just waiting instead of watching, we could be lulled into this activity. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is what Paul said, that if we're not watching, if we're not ready, if we're not sober, if we're not alert, if we're not proactive, if we're not taking action, living our lives every single day in such a way so as to be pleasing to God, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. Stop right there. Does that not perfectly define today? Yes. Loving themselves. They are a God unto themselves. They can even determine their own gender. At first, you know, when you first start hearing some of that, you think this is a joke. But you find out that it's not. And recently, signing some different papers, and you're asking questions like, what was your gender at birth? <laughs> what? And again, it would be funny if it wasn't so pathetic. It's just like, really? Lovers of themselves. I want to be who I want to be. I want to be what I want to be. I say this with no disrespect for any human being. They're confused people. They need God. They need someone to help them identify who they are in Christ and to know that they are fearfully and wonderfully made by God just as they are and that God has a wonderful plan for their lives, for good for them. 
They're lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. Money's not evil. But the love of money is. Boastful. Proud. Abusive. Disobedient to their parents. Boy, is that a reality. Look at the laws of God. The first commandment when it comes to relationships, personal relationships, honor your father and your mother. It's the first commandment with the promise that it'll be well with you and you'll live long on the earth. The first four deal with our relationship with God. God first. No images. Remember his name. Keep the Sabbath day holy. That's just between us and God. But then the number one with regard to personal relationships, honor your parents. But they disobedient to parents. Ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Boy, are we living in a time right now, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. You know what he's saying here when he says a form of godliness but deny the power thereof? Talking about, and please, this, this is, I believe this is going around the entirety of the body of Christ. When we were at the John Bevere meeting over there at Victory, he brought this out too, as well. You know, you, you, you say a sinner's prayer, but there's no change in your life. You say a sinner's prayer, and there's nothing that you do that's proactive as far as a Christian is concerned. Your Bible doesn't interest you. You don't go to church. You don't do anything at all to promote the kingdom of God. You just say, I said a sinner's prayer. You live the way you want to live. You do what you want to do. Act the way you want to act. Talk the way you want to talk. Beloved, when you get born again, there will be a change in your life. When you accept Christ as your Savior and your Lord, and your man on the inside is passes from death to life, there will be a change in your life. There'll be a hunger, and there'll be a thirst for the Word of Almighty God. I'll tell you what, you've heard my testimony. I couldn't stand going to church. Longest 45 minutes of my life. I'm telling you, I could not tolerate it. I couldn't stand to turn on a TV and hear someone on TV say, this is praise the Lord time. <clears throat> Are you kidding me? I thought they were some kind of Jesus freak. And I'm going to go right by those stations and just as fast as I possibly could. When I got born again, I gave my life to the Lord. You couldn't keep me out of church. And when I turned on that TV and I heard someone say, praise the Lord, it caught my attention. I said, thank God, I'm born again. I'm washed in the blood. I'm an heir of God, a joint heir with Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm on the train to glory. I'm the glory train. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. And then you couldn't keep me out of the book. I start reading my Bible, didn't know a whole lot. Met up with Brother Jose. I've told you about Brother Jose numerous times. Just talked to him the other day. He says, you remember that day? I said, how, do I, how can I forget that day? I, he asked me how I was. I said, I'm doing well. I said, how are you, brother? He goes, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered the heart of man the things that God's prepared for them that love him. Hallelujah. And when he said that, something in my spirit jumped. Jumped. Like a fire in my bones. And I said to myself, I want to know God like that. I want to know the Word of God like that. It got me opening up my Bible. I started reading my Bible. I brought my Bible to the mill. And, you know, I, I 
all the girlies magazines I threw aside that those people all had. There's up to three shifts in that mill. Three shifts. And they had all these other magazines, you know, and I just threw them all aside and opened up the Word of Life. And I looked at the Word of Life, and I'll tell you what, I began to read. And I brought in Kenneth Hagin books. I began to read and study what the Bible said. And it's just some, something on the inside of me enabled me to remember chapter and verse. Like, I, I, I don't know why. I don't know how. But it just rose up on the inside of me. And then once I got to that verse, I had not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered the heart of man the things God prepared for them to love him. I said to him, brother, you know what the next verse says, but God has revealed them to us by his spirit. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. So that we would know the deep things of God. Glory to God. Why am I saying this? Whether you listen by, an iP- uh, by uh, podcast, by live streaming, or here in the sanctuary, I don't want to see anybody left behind. Not one. If there's, if there's no interest in the things of God, if there's no interest in the Word of God, if it's mundane to you, something's wrong. A baby, firstborn, wants milk. That cry is for food. Food. Feed me. And that's exactly how we should be. You couldn't keep me out of church. Oh, hallelujah. You couldn't keep me out of my Bible. And everywhere I went, talked about the things of God. See, that's being born again. Can you see that? Not of corruptible seed, but is incorruptible by the word of God that lives and abides forever. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the, milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Hallelujah. Oh, praise God. And then I just started right into the book. Feeding my spirit on the word of God. Beloved, we're living in the last of the last days. We really are. And if anything, we should take notice. I'm not saying it would even be in our lifetime. But you know what? If there's a red heifer that's available right now, they're going to start building a temple. You talk about a sign. You talk about an end time reality. We need to wake up. Be alert. Sober minded. Get it right. Don't wait to get it right with people. Get it right. Right here. Right now. Open up your heart. Open up your life. Can we do something here this morning? Um... I might challenge you a little bit here. Can you sing a song about the blood? The blood. You know why? It's the blood of Jesus that makes our born-again experience possible. The lifeblood. You've been redeemed not with corruptible things as silver or gold, but the precious blood of of Jesus as a lamb without spot and without blemish. Oh, the precious blood of Jesus. We want to honor the blood that was shed for our redemption. We've got a blood covenant, a new covenant established on better promises. And it's all by the better blood that speaks better things than that of Abel. And I want us to, if you won't mind, when we get this song together, to stand and honor the blood of of the lamb that was shed for our redemption. Oh, the precious blood. We sing about the blood, and we should. It is precious. It is wonderful. Praise God. It's life-giving. We've been born by one pool of blood. Adam's blood. Right? We've been born again by another pool of blood. The blood of the second Adam. Without the blood of the second Adam, there is no salvation. The blood of the first Adam... One pool of blood, all men came from, 
takes us into a life of eternal damnation and, and the lake of fire. But praise God, because the Son of God came to the earth and shed His blood upon Calvary's cross and took it to the high court of heaven, obtained eternal redemption for us, that blood stands alone as the only blood. That's why there's no other Savior. That's why there's no other Redeemer. It's only the blood of the Lamb who redeemed us for, to God by every, of every tongue, kindred, people, and nation, and made us a kingdom of priests before our God that we shall reign with Him on all the earth. Can we stand, lift our hearts to heaven, and thank God for the blood of the Lamb? Even so, come Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. Oh, the precious blood of the Lamb. The wonderful blood of the Lamb. The glorious blood of the Lamb. Oh, glory and honor. Hallelujah. Sorry for the challenge this morning. but Oh, we've been redeemed. Not with silver. All the money in the world can never buy or pay your ransom. Oh, glory to God. We were all in debt. Had a sin debt. But no longer are we in debt. He took a rubber stamp. Put it in the blood. And stamped your sin-sick soul. Redeemed. Paid in full. Redeemed. Hallelujah. Paid in full. Glory to God. I've been bought and paid for. We don't belong to ourselves. We belong to Him. He bought and paid for us with His own blood. Can you say amen to that? Yes, He did. And He made us the kingdom of priests before our God. Hallelujah. Glory be to God.